What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Today is Tuesday, August 14th, 2018, heading towards week two of the NFL preseason. I am Will Brinson. I am your host of the daily CBS Sports NFL Podcast. We, uh, we love listening. Love having you guys, uh, love having you guys hang out. Appreciate you being here every day. Appreciate you subscribing and rating and reviewing. Unless you do a negative review, why can't we be positive in 2018? We don't have to be negative, jerks. If you don't, if you don't like, if you don't, if you don't like the show, just unsubscribe or leave. Like if you, if you don't like a TV show, do you change the channel or do you call your cable company and complain that Better Call Saul isn't as good as Breaking Bad? And actually Better Call Saul might be as good as Breaking Bad. Um, Really good show. Just actually watched the second episode of the fourth season a few minutes before recording this. Not that I forgot I had to record an intro or anything. Anyway, we got Brian McFadden on today's show, but first a couple of house cleaning things and some, uh, some news around the NFL. The Pick Six Podcast Fantasy League. I'll send out an email later. It's going to be sprawling. It's going to be big. It's going to be tremendous. It's going to be huge. Uh, it is now closed for entry. So <laughs> I don't know how the hell we're going to stuff all the people who sent me an email or a tweet into this league, but we're going to figure something out to make it work so everybody can play fantasy football together in a giant league or multiple leagues. You can, however, still join the Pick Six Podcast Pick'em League. Pick Six Pod. P-I-C-K-S-I-X-P-O-D dot football dot com, or just go to my Twitter page at Will Brinson and you can sign up there. Weekly winners get a free t-shirt. Season-long winners going to get a free fantasy league and maybe some other stuff uh, depending on what marketing has to hand out. So uh, check that stuff out. Hugh Jackson, this is in the news. Hugh Jackson is disciplining. <laughs> this is the funniest piece of news on the planet. He's, Hugh Jackson disciplined Antonio Callaway the rookie wide receiver who uh, was busted with some weed in his car. He, he's disciplining him, but he, he said he, he played him the whole game in week one. He made him play the entire preseason game. That's how he disciplined him, by giving him more reps, making him work more. That's the Hugh Jackson way, baby. Also on Jeffrey, Eagles wide receiver who underwent shoulder surgery, battled through the playoffs last year, helped the Eagles win the Super Bowl despite being injured, could miss the beginning of the season, according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Media. Uh, Jeffrey might stay on the pup list through the start of the season, so certainly that's a not a good thing for the Eagles. Downgrade him in fantasy drafts, obviously. Nelson Aguilar was already a great value to begin with. You should be targeting him in all of your fantasy leagues. Uh, the Browns finally agreed to turn – the Browns. The Bears. The Bears were acting like the Browns. And not agreeing to terms with Roquan Smith until freaking August 13th, you know, second week of the preseason. They're going to bring Roquan in. He's going to be ready to go. I'm assuming, we haven't heard anything about the language. I'm sure we'll find out about this um, today on, on Tuesday when he's talking to the media. I'm assuming that Roquan did not agree to the asinine contract language that the Bears wanted him to sign. Bad franchises stay bad, and that's what the Bears are doing. They're being bad. Bad news Bears by not bringing in Roquan and not signing him. Good job to get it done, I guess. Good job by Roquan Smith to hold out, too. Uh, nearly, we dodged a major bullet, guys. Saquon Barkley suffered an injury at training camp for the Giants. His left leg, I believe his left leg, was wrapped up. The Giants are calling a mild hamstring strain. He better not see the field for the rest of the preseason. Yeah, he did, don't put that guy, don't even let that guy near the field. No more touches, no nothing. 
If we lose Saquon Barkley and Darius Geis, that is a bad omen to the start of the season. No more, no more Barkley. Let him, let him stay. He'll be fine. He knows how to play football. Stick him back there. Let him run once the season starts. Got to be careful with those hamstrings. Um, and then Paxton Lynch demoted to third string behind Chad Kelly. Mentioned him on yesterday's show. What a dagger for the former first rounder who has to be at least considered on the, you know, a roster bubble risk at this point. He's no guarantee to keep his roster spot as well as Chad Kelly has played. Uh, but given the case Keenum has missed time before and Chad Kelly's uncertainty, I would expect that he ends up on there. Uh, let's talk some helmet rule and some preseason rookie quarterbacks with Bryant McFadden at BMAC underscore sports talk on Twitter and a star of CBS Sports HQ. And if you're wondering what CBS Sports HQ is, it's our live streaming video service with up-to-the-minute news, highlights, analysis, fantasy advice, gambling advice. Frankly, it is a perfect recipe of sports. Watch it, and you will be a smarter sports fan. That's the goal. No nonsense. Just make you smarter. Where do you watch? Any connected device, phone, computer, Roku, Apple, TV, Amazon, you name it, CBS Sports HQ is probably on it. Just go to the CBS Sports app or the CBS Sports HQ app. It may have changed. It may have updated, depending on how old your software is. I'm on it. Brian McFadden's on it. Pete Prisco's on it. Lockett Fora's on it. We're all on it. Costos is on it. Never miss, miss a big moment. Always know the smart angle on sports. Check out CBS Sports HQ. Let's talk to BMAC. All right, BMAC. Back on the program. Good to have you back. I know you've been working on that Steelers podcast. Uh, you want to you want to promote that a little bit? When's, when's, when's this thing? When's this, <laughs> when's this thing dropping? I mean, I keep I keep I keep getting excited about it because it was a dominant defensive team. Uh, a lot of fans are going to be interested in hearing it. Uh no question. Uh, this is going to be this is going to be a big moment for me. I feel like a rapper. You know, <laughs> all the work that I've been putting in as far as creating this unique podcast it feels like the creation of an album and you know just not quite ready to drop a release date just yet because there are a few other things we need to do as far as fine-tuning and of course you know making adjustments here and there but we plan on dropping this album slash podcast uh right before the start of the regular season so Steeler fans you better buckle your seatbelt because we have some quality features on this podcast some of the unique personalities that we cheered that you cheered for throughout 2008 as far as players, as far as coaching coaches. Also, this is going to be a once in a lifetime podcast. I like the idea. It's a long form podcast, long formish podcast, sort of a more of a discussion than just like a quick hitting news and analysis uh, like like we do on here, which is good. But, you know, sometimes people want to go in depth on certain topics and you guys are going to do that. Let's go in depth on the Cardinals Chargers game. There was a hit. At the end of the, actually there are multiple hits in this, in this, uh, in this situation, um, in, in this game in general, but I believe the one that really drew some, uh, drew the ire of everybody, uh, Cardinal safety Travell Dixon was called for a penalty in the fourth quarter of this Cardinals Chargers preseason game. And I think AJ Howard was actually flagged, uh, for one earlier in the game. It was basically a perfect hit, but they were nailed for, a defensive, defenseless receiver situation. It feels like this is the helmet rule, the dreaded helmet rule in play, right? Yes, yes, and th- this this will be a ongoing process throughout the course of the year because clearly referees they're still in between of knowing when to call it and when not to call it. And I believe when you look at the replay being available, 
you have to be able to go to the booth to see exactly was this an illegal hit. And that play you described where we're talking about right now, that was an ideal coaching tape. You cannot draw it up any better than what we saw as far as coaching technique, as far as tackling, as far as being able to see your target, as far as being able to deliver a quality, hard, legal blow on your target. And he was they, they called a penalty. And, and that's the issue I have. What is right and what is wrong? Because, of course, lowering the head, head to head contact is a no, no. We all know that we've seen incidents with it when it's done illegally and they get the call right. And we've seen incidents when it's not done right. And they call a penalty when it clearly should not have been a penalty. And then for me in that situation, game speed is extremely difficult for any referee to be able to get it right instantly. That's why you should be able to go to the booth when you look at a close call. And granted, this is the preseason, so it's a big story, but it's not a big story. But if things like this happen throughout the regular season with superstar players that potentially could have multiple personal foul hits, then that will cause an ejection to that player that's when it can get a bit sticky but that was an ideal coaching tape i mean if i was coaching little league football if i was coaching high school football i would use that as my coaching tape this is how you tackle this is the right way to do so and i think the concern too is that we see this and and not only does it fly in the face of everything you know that's supposed to be right but it also, there's no consistency. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks on this podcast in that we don't know how these referees are going to dole out these punishments in the preseason. And then you hear a ref say, oh, it's a preseason. You're going to see more of those flags in the regular season. It's like, well, that's not any, like, any more helpful. That's just, if anything, that's more confusing. And I think that, um, the NFL has a problem on its hands because if this goes into the regular season like this and it begins to affect games and it begins to affect players and it begins, we already talked about with the contract situation, it's already affecting Roquan Smith's deal with the Bears. If this causes star players to miss games or star players to be thrown out of games and it causes teams to lose or win games based on what the referees are deciding in the moment with stuff that appears to be a legal hit and is, is encompassed by this very broad undefined term of, of what is leading with the helmet, then it's, it's going to, it's going to mar the season and it's going to create problems and make the NFL look foolish. And I don't understand why they don't see that this is coming down the pipe. Exactly. And as a fan, when you're cheering for your favorite team and you see a play like that, you're confused just like the players. Because how how do you cheer and root for your team as far as winning a ball game or root for the game of football when you when you see unfair situations like this that we're seeing throughout the first week of the preseason? Right. This has this was the first week of the preseason. And we have so many stories that we can talk about as far as seeing the helmet to helmet rule not be applied correctly. And this will continue to go on. And I said last week, this rule will be more annoying than is this a catch or or is this not a catch? And we know how difficult that was because, my goodness, my blood pressure was going up and down, watching, trying to determine what's a catch and what's not a, not a catch, preferably talking about that New England Patriots, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers ball game from a year ago with the Jesse James, uh, uh, play. So, and we, we saw how annoying that was throughout the course of the year, but this will be more annoying than that because clearly the referees don't know when to, to call it or when it's right. And they're not using 
the ability to go to replays that are to overturn some bad calls like they should, in my opinion. Yeah, and the problem is too, this is exactly what college football dealt with targeting, except uh-huh. it, it was on, but it was on like a different level because it was across, you know, there's 130 teams in 128 or whatever it is in college, and they're doing this targeting stuff and they're throwing young kids out who, who aren't big names. Like they're not throwing out, I mean, they're just throwing, like, I'm just lobbing at it. Like Tyron Matthew, you know, they're not throwing out Honey Badger and then having Honey Badger go on a tirade. And even this, you know, they're penalizing guys in the preseason. I mean, if you start throwing out star defensive backs and star defensive players for doing this, I mean, it's not like you can take it easy on the star guys for doing it. I mean, I don't know how, like, how is Luke Keekley or Tyron Matthew going to hit somebody any different than those two Cardinals safeties did? I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's such a split second reactionary thing that it's going to be impossible for, for, for players to, to focus on. And so now the NFL has not only managed to spend this offseason drawing in attention on itself for this rule, but also the national anthem. It, it's amazing to me. Do you ever find that the NFL just can't get out of its own way, like as a, as a former player, like like just just let this stuff disappear into the void and let people play football and let people be happy watching football, right? Exactly, exactly. It's kind of taking some of the fun mm. out of the game as a fan, as a former player. It would be extremely difficult now because my thing is this: as a defender playing defense, my entire football career going back to college and going back to high school we were always taught as defenders to knock the man knock the ball away from the man as far as pass attempts as far as when you get an opportunity to make a play on the ball and that can cause you to be in in a better position as far as winning ball games when you can knock completions and when you can turn completions into incompletions as far as being physical so now as a secondary player if you're playing now you have to really be mindful and tone down the intensity. And then from a fan standpoint, if you're starting to see players hesitate and allow a wide receiver or a pass catcher in general to catch the football and then make the tackle, you don't want to see that because your job is to try to do what? Knock the ball loose from the man, from the, from the offensive player. And clearly when you're getting there in a timely fashion to do so, that's when you get hit with the 15 yard penalty. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem is like you're asking guys to do something they've been doing forever and guys who are doing it clean. Like it's not like these guys are out here playing dirty. They're having to change the way they go about playing the game. And it, your catch rule is your catch rule complaint is spot on because the problem with the catch rule and all of that is that it led to disjointed games that fans would watch and the media would watch and former players would watch and not understand why something was happening. That should be the goal. We should be able to. John Smith sitting in a bar should be able to be watching, watch a football game and understand why the referee would throw a flag and why the referee would call a penalty and why somebody would be thrown out of a game or why something would be a catch or not a catch. It shouldn't be confusing to fans at home. That's, that it's a literal definition of a turnoff and it's how you end up with people, um, you know, getting miffed about the game of football and, 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 and not, not enjoying watching the game. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like watching. Your favorite soap opera, the young and the restless or the bold and the beautiful. You don't know what you will see from week in to week out when it comes to this helmet to helmet uh, rule that they currently have in place. Did we talk? Did, have we talked about this? Are you a soap guy? I used to be. I used to be a big time guiding light guy. Really? Yes. And, you know, guiding light used to come on CBS. It used to come on 3 p.m. And my grandma, oh, my goodness, she used to love guiding light. And unfortunately, she used to make me watch it. Mm. And I became a big fan. That was my favorite soap opera. 
out of all the soap operas that that were on back then and currently on still, God and Light was my favorite. Did you watch soaps when you were a player? Would you like sneak out? (laughs) No. Hey, Will, when I got an opportunity to get my own television, soaps (laughs) were were afterthought for me. (laughs) I was soaped out. I interviewed, I interviewed Drew Pearson, who's a, you know, legendary Cowboys receiver, and he said that he used to, he was, he's obsessed with the young and restless, and he used to sneak away, um, from the, from the, from the Cowboys facility. Really? And go watch, yeah, it was pretty You know what? The Young and the Restless wasn't bad. I was a big time Victor fan. Yeah, he loves Victor. That's like his Victor, hero. Victor yeah. was the guy on the Young and Restless. If I'm not mistaken. I think Victor still, he still has a significant role on that show, oh, if I'm not he's, mistaken. He's still rolling, man. He's still making bank. Uh, <laughs> exactly. We, we all, we all wish we could be going on for that long. All right. Let's talk about some, uh, preseason action. And I'm curious, you know, the, the obvious story, the obvious storyline, I think, I mean, coming out of this, this first, first week of the preseason games is, how did the rookie quarterbacks look? And frankly, BMAC, I was impressed with all of them. I thought that, uh, Baker Mayfield looked exceptionally pro ready, even though, even though he's not going to start because Tyrod Taylor looks good as well. I thought, mm-hmm. um, I thought Josh Allen, even though he had that goofy fourth down, um, throw from like my, sh- my shoulders in the ground, and he's trying to throw it up in the air, which is very yeah. stupid. Um, I thought that, I thought generally he looked good. And, uh, Josh Rosen pressured a lot, but, but did some nice stuff moving out of the way, um, in, in terms of getting attacked. But the guy that really popped out to me, and I, I don't think I'm alone here, Sam Darnold looks like he's going to start for the Jets, right? I mean, I think when you look at all the rookie quarterbacks, I think Sam Darnold has the best chance of starting week one or early in the year. And seeing how well he has progressed missing what the first three or four days of camp because of his contract situation and now jumping into camp, seeing he seems to be within rhythm. The chemistry is there. Remember also, too, this is a new offense they have in place there with a new offensive coordinator. So pretty much all three quarterbacks, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold and uh, Josh McCown, pretty much are on the same level as far as getting familiar with the new terminology and the new plays. And we know Sam has the highest ceiling out of the other two guys. I mean, out of all three guys, he has the highest ceiling. And I think he's just embracing the moment. He seems to really enjoy playing the quarterback position. And outside of the known, the, uh, the known from as far as com- completing passes, uh, being competitive, making plays. One thing that I really would like to pinpoint based on the game this weekend, um, against Atlanta. Watching how he command and controlled the huddle was huge for a rookie quarterback. Because remember, listeners, a lot of these rookie quarterbacks, they never huddled on the collegiate level. Now, granted, Clay Helton at SC, they did a little, you know, they had had a few. It was a little different than the norm as far as college offenses. But for the most part, huddling up, calling plays, calling line protection, things of that nature. A lot of these quarterbacks are not used to doing that. But watching Sam in the huddle, talking through, talking with the offensive linemen, talking with the backs and the receivers, and seeing how he had control of the huddle was huge for me. Was huge for me because Sam lacks the experience like a Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield played his entire collegiate career. You know, he he yeah. he, he was a, a fifth year guy, if I'm not mistaken, because he redshirted. So we know Baker has far more experience than the other quarterbacks, but seeing. The lack of experience that Sam had only playing two years at SC and now jumping into an NFL huddle and commanding the huddle, you have to really be excited about where he potentially can go if he stays rooted and grounded and continues to progress. No, I'm, I'm with you 100%, and you're right. I mean, remember Baker Mayfield played it. Um, 
his freshman year at Texas Tech and then transferred to Oklahoma. He finished his career with uh, three shy of 1,500 passing attempts. Sam Darnold didn't play as a, as a, as a, as a true freshman. He finished with he just, he finished with less than 850 attempts. So, I mean, almost half of the attempts. Now, granted, and I, I'm with, I think it's interesting with, with Darnold because he, he was thrown into the fire at USC. I mean, he, you know, he started a lot of games, um, in 2016, but he, he wasn't the, the plan at quarterback to begin with. Yep. And, and, uh, and I almost think that helps you in a quarterback competition like this. Like you've been in that moment where, there's an older guy there. There's a guy ahead of you on the depth chart, and, but your number gets called anyway, and you're able to step up and, and and leap right into that. And I'm with you. Like the the thing to me with Darnold that that really pops out about him is just he is so calm and relaxed, and nothing seems to rattle him. And that that I mean, as a former player, like that matters from the quarterback, right? You need that that exuding of confidence and 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 not you know the borderline arrogant stuff. From your quarterback on the field, right? Oh, no question. No question. I think right now, when you look at these young quarterbacks and the expectations and the pressure is extremely high for Sam and the other quarterbacks. But just seeing how cool and calm he was, was huge. Not to mention outside of Sam, when you look at the entire, the entire quarterback room there in, in New York. Teddy Bridgewater played pretty good football. So now when you look at Sam Donald making strides, he could be the week one starter. And when you look at Teddy Bridgewater making some strides also, now he could be expendable, not to mention be able to get something in return. I think the Jets, knowing that they're still two, three, four years down the line from competing for a championship, let's keep it real. But clearly they're going in the right direction because Sam Donald looked look good. Teddy Bridgewater looked good. I mean, they're pretty, I think, and I'll say this, and I know, you know, we're jumping the gun right now, prisoners of the moment, <laughs> but outside of the starting quarterback, collectively as a unit, they probably have the best quarterback room in the AFC East. And we know you got Tom and throwing, we know Tom is the best quarterback when you look at as far as quantity. You got three guard, three guys that probably could start week one and you would be okay with starting mm. them week one. That's a great point. And I think it's, it is fascinating too, because you have Sam Darnold, who's probably going to end up being the guy because the Jets and Mike McCagnan and, and Todd Bowles need to prove that they drafted a, uh, a winner, or, you know, a rookie quarterback who can come in here and, and be an impact guy out of the gates. But if, if something were to happen to Sam Darnold, you would be perfectly comfortable rolling with Teddy Bridgewater. And I think, or, jo- or Josh McCown. Oh yeah, 100%. And the, the, or, or, or Josh McCown. And that's what I'm saying. Listen, I'm not saying they have the best quarterback in the division. We know. The, the Patriots, they have that with Tom. But when you look at the Patriots having Tom and, and then Brian Hoyer, uh, that's the top two guys there. When you look at the quarterback situation in Buffalo, Josh Allen, Agent McCarron, uh, Nathan Peterman, when you look at what's going on in Miami, Tannehill, um, um, Brock, yep. you had three guys that pretty much could start for the Jets. And like I said, you would be okay with another play I'd like to pinpoint, uh, uh, a play I would like to pinpoint that really had me excited about Sam. I think it was in the second half. Uh, they ran a quarterback rollout to his left side mm-hmm. and he was able to hit his crossing route in stride. And the thing that was so impressive about that play, Will and listeners is that Sam is right-handed. Mm. He's right-handed, but he rolled to his left and he was able to keep his shoulders 
straight. And then when he got, when he saw the wide receiver in stride, he was able to turn his shoulder without breaking his stride in the rollout and hit the wide receiver directly in route, running full speed. And he was able to turn up. Those are little things that young quarterbacks have issues with because it's easy to roll out to the, your strong hand, to your dominant hand, because you're already in position to make a throw. But you're rolling to your weaker hand, your, the, the hand that's not your dominant hand. You have to be able to get your shoulders in place to be able to hit the, the pass catcher, but also hit them in a place where they can get positive yards. And he was able to do that. So those are little things that I, t- I saw as far as commanding the huddle and that rollout play was impressive. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting too because a lot of times with these rookie quarterbacks, and especially guys who aren't coming from, you know, say like a, you know, let's say somebody's not coming from a pro style system or whatever, you might not roll them out to the left or you would roll them out if they're, if they're throwing, if they're, if they're, if their first read is a crosser coming from left to right and they're obviously a right-handed quarterback, you might roll them out to the right in order to chop the field in half and only force them to diagnose half the field and give them that easy crosser as you're running where you can kind of lean into it. But you're right. If you're going left and you're trying to hit that crosser, you're throwing across your body um, with with weird, funky momentum, and it says a lot about not just – we talked about his head and how good a – how good his command was but the you know the the physical ability is all there and this is a kid who's only 20 um if if you were the if you were the browns moving to them and and baker mayfield would you go with baker or would you go with tyrod as your starting quarterback you know what based on one week of preseason play preseason action i i will go tyrod taylor and here's why tyrod taylor did nothing to lose his job in that game against uh the new york giants yep tyrod taylor played real good football He, he had a he had a he didn't have the opportunities like Baker, but when you look at what he did, he was five for five, 99 yards, a touchdown, five for five against the number one defense mm. from the New York Giants, a defense that potentially could be pretty, pretty good. Five for five, 99 yards, one touchdown, a nice touchdown drive. So granted, Baker was 11 for 20, over 200 yards, multiple touchdowns, two touchdowns. Played real good football, but he did not go against the ones. He played against the twos and the threes. A lot of guys that may not make the opening day roster for the Giants, but yet and still he did what he was supposed to do. But Tyrod Taylor, let's not forget, listeners, he took a subpar Buffalo Bills team to the playoffs, a team that tried to move him out of that starting role, brought him back into the starting role, and took a team that was very, very limited as far as offensive star power outside of LaShawn McCoy and was a it was a close battle between the Jacksonville Jaguars there in Duval in January as far as playoff football. So he can play football. So when you talk about Tyrod doing what he was supposed to do, that's my number one. That's the top reason I would still start him. And number two, the second factor in why I would start Tyrod Taylor over Baker Mayfield based on what we know right now. Week one, they're playing against a championship caliber team in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm a divisional powerhouse in the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, they have a Super Bowl-winning quarterback, a future Hall of Famer, a Pittsburgh Steelers offense that can score with the best, a Pittsburgh Steelers defense that has been known to give young quarterbacks a, <laughs> a, 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 a has been known to give young quarterbacks a lot of terror. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to put my young quarterback in that atmosphere week one. That's a so good, let me yeah. go with the experienced guy. No, I like that. That's a good point. I mean, it's a home game, but it is against the Steelers. And I think there's a belief sort of bubbling up, or at least it's it's been bubbling and, and it's continuing to 
move its way to the service that the Browns can hang in this game. Like the, like the Browns, I mean, you know, you, you've seen plenty of Steelers Browns games and played in plenty of them in, in your career. And the Browns have been for a large part, um, you know, the, 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 the doormat for the AFC North. But the, I think that this team has enough mojo to it, you know, playing at home, six point underdog that they can at least hang with the Steelers. And that's all you really need. Like, even if you don't win the game, if it's a close loss and Tyrod Taylor plays well, then you're going to be feeling good about where you're going moving yes. into the season. But if, yes. but if Baker Mayfield goes out there and, and like and plays like a rookie quarterback in his first start against the Steelers defense, um, you know, against a tough opponent, and, and the Browns lose big, then all of a sudden all that hope vanishes very quickly, and, <laughs> and and you have to regroup on what to do. And Hugh Jackson needs to win games so badly right now that I would be stunned if he doesn't just he doesn't stick with this Tyrod thing. Yeah, he needs to win games and he needs to be competitive. He has to be competitive, in my opinion, and the best way to be competitive, especially early on, is going with the experienced quarterback, a guy that has really done an exceptional, he has done a real good job as far as the opportunities, and let's rock and roll with him, because when you look at the Cleveland Browns as far as having the musical chairs, uh, playing musical chairs at the quarterback position, remember, a year ago, week one against Pittsburgh and Cleveland, they started a rookie quarterback. And Deshaun Kaiser. And granted, he did some good things, but he also had key mistakes that allowed the Pittsburgh Steelers to come away with a big time win. And he was not able to get over that hit because the first game, I think he threw an interception, a costly interception that basically won the ball game for Pittsburgh. And then the second week against Baltimore, he had either two or three interceptions. So <laughs> he just was spiraling in the wrong direction. I think for me, Baker is the future. We know that. We know that. We're not hiding away from that. But until he shows the maturity to be able to step in that fire, let's go with the guy that played big, has played in big time ball games, has played in playoff games. And yet and still, like I said, he did nothing to lose his job in week one. Yep. And you, Deshaun Kaiser point is a great one because Deshaun Kaiser last year as a rookie, under the guidance of Hugh Jackson for the Cleveland Browns, led the NFL with 22 interceptions, and he led the NFL. This, to me, BMAC, is the biggest stat of them all. Four interceptions inside the 10-yard line. Red That's oh. Yeah, six inside the red zone. Um, and so what happens, as you know, as everybody knows, when you get inside the red zone, as mathematics and physics dictate, the field shrinks and it becomes tougher to make good decisions. And if you've got a rookie court, this is where Tyrod Taylor shines, not turning the ball over. Yes. And if the Browns don't yes. do that, they can win some football games this year. I agree. Tyrod Taylor is a smart quarterback and he's not a volume quarterback. And what I mean when I say that he's not a quarterback that you would like to have 35 or 45 attempts. That's not his, that's not in his DNA, but yet and still he's a Smart quarterback, he makes timely plays, and he always can bail himself out of diff difficult situations with his legs. And I can tell you this, Cleveland, the offense, you know, as far as running the ball, I think they can do a lot better. The offensive line has to find a way to get in sync with each other. But if they can somehow get Josh Gordon back mm -hmm. with David and Joko running down the scene, with Jarvis Landry, a little firecracker. I would love to play with Jarvis Landry because he has a defensive mentality. He takes nothing from no opposing player. 
And if Antonio Callaway can keep his nose clean, and if something happens with Dez Bryant, and I know he has a visit scheduled this week, allegedly, that offense, if that offensive line can stay healthy and find a way to run the football with Carlos Hyde, Chubb, and Duke Johnson, and that's the thing I love about Tyrod Taylor is that he understands and he knows how to get quality pass catches the ball, as we saw in the first uh, uh, two drives against the Giants. Well, that offense could be scary. Yeah, it really could. I mean, and Njoku, I thought, looked awesome. That the He had the two touchdown catches against the Giants, obviously, but um, one was a fantastic pass from Baker, and then the other was, like you said, he's running down the seam. When you, when you talk about Jarvis Landry and that defensive mentality, uh, were you surprised to find out to see him emerge as a leader for Cleveland after in this sort of this hard knocks preseason role? Um, nope. Oh, really? Okay, so you no. you 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 believed he was this sort of player before? Yeah, I watched him play in Miami, and the attitude in which he plays with is something that you want your offensive players to have. And not to mention, he still feel a bit disrespected in how the relationship ended with the Miami Dolphins, in my opinion. And he's playing with a chip on his shoulder. This is a guy that wasn't a high-round draft pick. He was a mid-round guy. Clearly should have went higher uh, than what many expected. But he plays the game mad. He plays pissed off. He has an attitude like a former teammate of mine in Heinz Ward. Now, Heinz was was more physical, but that dog-like mentality, and I'm sorry, he was a second-round draft pick, but yet and still he had an That's unbelievable collegiate career. Yeah. And – all of that adds to the motivation for Jarvis, in my opinion. You know, wanted to be drafted higher, wanted to find a way to reach a long-term deal with the Dolphins. They traded him away because they felt like he was not, he, he wasn't in their future plans. He's pissed off about that. And then coming to an organization that has been a losing organization for a lot of teenagers' lifetime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the Browns have never been good. Most people don't know about, the, like, most, most people who are alive aren't like, oh, you know, the Browns, remember the Browns were great? Like, the kids don't know that. That's no! It's a, a great point. I like it. Alright, uh, we, we, we hit our, uh, we hit our timer here. You gotta go do some CBS Sports HQ. For those that don't know CBS Sports HQ, uh, the only, the best way right now to get the perfect blend of sports and more sports. It's a sports, sports maniacs dreamscape because it, it's on, uh, it's on all the, uh, the platforms. You can check it out on Roku. You can watch Brighton McFadden on there. You can also follow him at BMAC underscore Sports Talk. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Uh, great. Well, thank you again for having me. It was a great time.